all don't know the sermon series that we're on for the next to this week and the next four weeks after this, uh, we are talking about the strangest or you know, some of the strangest, not, we're not doing all of the strangest, there are a lot of strange things in the Bible. Um, some of the strangest stories as part of a Stranger Things themed uh, sermon series. And, and these stories are particularly uh, weird. Um, you'll, if you watch the sermon bumper that's on Facebook, you can kind of guess what the five stories are going to be. Um, but this one, Samson, the first ever user of Firefox, Thanks, guys. <laughs> I thought that was really good, no? Okay. Um, this one's particularly weird. And I think it's one of the reasons that it's weird is because Samson is such a strange character to us in Scripture. And you all know, uh, those of you who have been at Hope for a while, um, know that I love the characters of the Bible. I think that the characters of the Bible are what bring in alive human stories. Um, and so uh, Samson is this particularly weird character. I've, I've used some ancient art as my backdrops this week for a couple of these. Uh, Samson is one of these particularly weird characters because I think in the last hundred years, we really started to misunderstand the story of Samson. We really started to misunderstand, in fact, basically the entire book of Judges where the story of Samson is found. Historically, the, the story of Samson, um, and actually most of the story of most of the judges, were cast as kind of villainous characters in the Old Testament. That, that was not the way that things were supposed to go. But, but today, what we do is that we, we see a character like Samson, and we put them in like a comic book. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like kids, I used to have this growing up, it was like stories from the Bible, like heroes, Samson, and then he would like pick up the jawbone of an, oc- or of, of an ass and he'd just, you know, you Philistines, I'll take you. And it's false advertising. Because that's not, I mean, the whole book of Judges, it even, it begins and ends. It, it ends with, and, and like no one, was, the, the book of Judges ends, and no one was faithful to the Lord, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That, like, come on now. Like, this, this, is not a, this is not a story of heroes. And you guys know, like, this is a common thing in life. We like to, to, to create euphemisms when things are hard to deal with. All right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Things that are named improperly. Do I have to give you an example? I'll give you one example. Halloween's coming up, right? Fun-sized candy bars. That is a deceptive name. Do you know what's more fun than a fun-sized candy bar? A regular candy bar. <laughs> it should be called a 75% less fun-sized candy bar. Like that, like that. Red delicious apples. I'm done with that sentence. Like just red delicious apples. False advertising. But this is the story of Samson. He's not a hero. He is a villain. He's either a villain. He's either a villain or he's wildly ineffective. It's one or the other. Those are really the two options. And so, as we think about the story of Samson, uh, Rick did a great job of reading for us the first eight verses, but we really could have read all of chapter 15 and all of chapter 16 of Judges. Samson gets a lot of real estate because the conflict with Samson that begins in chapter 15 with his, the, the, his father-in-law giving his wife to his Philistine whatever, or his, his wife's a Philistine, so his father-in-law, who's also a Philistine, gives his wife to his comrade or whatever. Like, 
That's the beginning of a cycle of violence that exists and continues for two entire chapters until at the end of chapter 16, Samson eventually dies in a murder-suicide terrorist attack on a place of worship of the Philistines that kills like three to 4,000 people. That's how the story of Samson ends. Hear that. That's how it ends. With an act of basically... Suicide bombing. That, like, the, the story of Samson is very, very, very difficult to rationalize and, and understand if you consider Samson to be heroic. And so it goes something like this. The, the whole story is something like this. It starts off, you know, Samson's wife gets given to another man, which is problematic in and of itself. All right, Samson's wife should have been able to choose who she wanted to be with. That was weird. Um, so... So Samson's wife is given to another man because her father-in-law thinks that his, his other daughter is more beautiful, which is, again, really strange and problematic. Samson gets really upset and, as a result, catches 300 foxes, lights their tails on fire after tying them together, and allows them to destroy all of the Philistine, um, like, uh, money and power and, uh, and, and like agriculture. Just destroys it all. Burns them out. And then they respond by being like, you destroyed our entire economy. We're going to kill your father-in-law and your, your wife. And so they do. And so Samson's like, well, now you really got me mad. Who was he mad at in the first place? His father-in-law. I don't understand, but he gets really mad and he kills a thousand Philistines. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he just kills many. He slaughters many Philistines. And so then they're like, oh my gosh, uh, this guy is becoming a problem for us. Let's go, tie, let's go get him. So they go to Judah and then Judah, the whole nation of Judah gets involved and their whole army goes and gets Samson. They tie him up and then Sam, they lead him out to, and he's like, hey, don't kill me um, because I'm really going to break through these ropes. And so they tie him up and they bring him out to the Philistines and he goes, and breaks through the ropes, at least in my Bible stories version. He goes, ah, and he breaks through the ropes. And with nothing around him, he picks up the jawbone of an ass and he kills a thousand Philistines. That's, again, another strange story of the Bible. And then they're like, okay, so we can't get him until we cut his hair. Weird. So, so, so they convince a, a prostitute to seduce him, and Samson gets tricked by this woman four times. Like three times he wakes up and she's trying to sell him into slavery. Three times he's like, whatever, she's good, look in. <laughs> like she must have been really beautiful, or he must have been really stupid, or both. And eventually she cuts his hair, and then they take him in and they, they chain him to a pillar and they gouge out his eyes, real story. And then he pushes down a giant temple and he kills more people, it says, in that single action than he had the rest of his life. It reminds me, actually, of, of this book, Huck Finn. Have you guys ever read Huck Finn? I think most people probably have. Um, at least for my generation, because it became extremely popular. I was assigned to read Huck Finn twice, once as a, a high school student my junior year, and then again as a college student my freshman year in American literature. So I read Huck Finn twice, and I remember both times 
one of the seminal parts of Huck Finn that stood out to me was the Grangerford Shepherdson feud. This is a weird part of Huck Finn. It's not like a central part of Huck Finn, but basically at some point, Huck uh, meets the, I, I believe it's the Grangerfords. He meets the Grangerfords, and he's like, and, and, and one of the Grangerfords like sees a, like a person running across their land and just shoots at him. And he's like, what are you doing? You're going to kill that guy. And he's like, yeah, but that's a Shepherdson. We've been killing them for years. And they kill us. And he's like, oh, okay, why do you guys do that? And he's like, we don't know, but we've just been killing each other for a long time. And Huck thinks this is so strange. He's like, why are you continuing a cycle of violence? And they're like, well, because last month they killed like one of our, like a 14-year-old boy from our family. They killed a 14-year-old boy, so now we're going to get him back for that. And he goes, yeah, but why'd they kill the 14-year-old boy? Oh, because we killed one of theirs. Okay, but why'd you kill one of theirs? Because they had killed one of ours. This is how gang wars happen. It's, it, it's no different. And this, the Bible teaches us in this story of Samson and actually in the story to follow, which is Jesus in Matthew, it teaches us that this is a highly ineffective way of dealing with conflict. A highly ineffective way. Because the Philistines, right, after Samson kills thousands and thousands of Philistines with animals of different kinds, both dead and alive, right? Like, Samson kills all these Philistines. And then the Philistines are, are defeated, right? No. The Philistines are back in 1 Samuel, which is the next book to follow in the Hebrew Bible. In the, in the Christian Bible, we have some stuff in between, but in the Hebrew Bible, it goes right from Judges into 1 Samuel. It actually says, if you, if you want the, the, the literal read translation, because they didn't even really chop it up into books, and every man did right and right what was in his, his uh, no one did, was righteous and everyone did, well, every man did what was right in his own eyes too. But there was one woman. <laughs> That's how 1 Samuel starts. So, so that's the narrative. As you go through 1 Samuel, who, who, who's, fi who's fighting the Philistines? David. Who's Goliath? He's a Philistine. Samson was highly ineffective at defeating the Philistines. It didn't matter how many of them he killed. There was always more. And then people say, well, eventually the Philistines were defeated. Yes, kind of. They were defeated by the Babylonians. When the Babylonians took over all of, of ancient Palestine and they, and they, and they, they, they took uh, the, the, the Jewish people into captivity, in the Babylonian captivity, they also took the Philistines into captivity. But unlike the Philistines, the Jewish people had some cultural identity markers. They had a purity culture, they had a language that lent itself to storytelling and being able to remember long, uh, you know, you didn't need, they didn't need to write anything down. Their language was like a, a, a repetitious with chiastic structure. It's really complicated. But basically they could remember long stories. And they had like, they had uh, physical identification markers, like keeping kosher, like what they would eat. And circumcision. So the Jews were able to maintain their culture when they were captured by the Babylonians. The Philistines, they just had like music and art and all the things that we might consider culture today. They had culture similar to ours. And so the Philistines, they, they don't make it out of Babylon because they eventually just become Babylonian. They just assimilate to the culture. And who's the ultimate enemy in the book of Revelation? The Babylonians. The Philistines aren't even defeated in the end. 
until the very end. What Jesus teaches in Matthew is that Samson, the way of Samson, the way of the judges, the way of violence is never effective. It never works. Sure, it might work for a period of time. David beats the Philistines for a while. But eventually the Philistines, eventually the people who are against you always come back. Eventually the Grangers, the Grangerfords and the Shepherds, the feud never ends. It doesn't matter how many people die. The feud never ends. And so what the Bible actually teaches in Matthew, what, what, what Jesus comes to undo is this idea that revenge is somehow effective. Jesus says, you know, you've ever heard that revenge is a, best, is a dish best served cold? Jesus actually teaches revenge is a dish best not served. Just stop the cycle. That's why in, in Matthew, this is, I'm going to read the Matthew passage again. Jesus says, he, the eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, that's in the Bible. That's in the Old Testament. Jesus says, you've heard it said. Not you've heard it said. He says, your religion teaches you. Sometimes the things in the Old Testament are not supposed to be used as, as positive forever things. Sometimes things in the Old Testament actually represent villain, not hero, like Samson. Villain, not hero. He's not a Bible hero. It's a Bible villain. So Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. Can you imagine if, if Jesus showed up with the evangelical church today? Hey, you've heard it said, the Bible says this, but I'm actually going to tell you something different. They would be so mad. But Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing, you're, you're, taking, the, 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 you're taking the micro, you're taking the, the words, and you're not getting the picture. You're looking at a Monet painting from right here. You guys know Monet, the Impressionist? You've got to back up, or else you don't, you don't even see it. It's just a bunch of dots. Looks ridiculous up close. Unlike the Mona Lisa, it looks ridiculous far away. If you've ever been to the Louvre, it's like tiny. It's like, is that her? I'm going to fall. Says so you heard it say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow anything from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus argues with the entire Samsonite way of doing things. He provides an alternative. He reshapes the commandment. To say, no, 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 no. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that was supposed to be about systemic justice. That was supposed to be about everybody receiving the same thing. That some people don't get 
get to get away with murder just because they're rich. That's what the commandment's about. Some people, some people can't just uh, falsify business practices because they have a good lawyer. That's not, that's not how the world should work. That's what the Old Testament's teaching. But people took that and they said, no, 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 it's, it's, it's just a one for one. It's just you get to repay anybody for anything they do to you with the same. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've missed the point entirely. You've missed the point entirely. You've taken justice and you've corrupted it and you've turned it into revenge. Those are two different things. You don't get to take the law into your own hands. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Actually, in fact, if somebody hits you, let him hit you twice. If somebody takes your coat, give him your shirt. If somebody sues you, don't fight them in court. If somebody, I mean, it goes, it goes pretty far here. It says, if anybody wants to borrow anything from you, just give it to them. I, it baffles me today how Christians over and over again just seem to like the Samson way more than the Jesus way. But we are called Christians, Christian meaning like Little Christs, not little Samsons. We're not Samsonites, slappy Swansons, Samsonite. I was way off. We're, we are not Samsonites. We are Christians. And it baffles me. And, and, and this is, the, the problem is, I think oftentimes we take that Samsonite logic and we, and we put it on Jesus and we try and figure out how these two things could work together. And we force it because we like the cycle of violence. It makes sense to us. Doesn't it? Does it make sense that the people who are willing to die, that the meek will inherit the earth? No. In our logic, no, 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 the strong, that's who takes it, right? You want to have the biggest stick. That's how you're going to win. But we conflate these things. And so take the story of Jesus. I'm going to take a, a theological sidetrack here and then we're going to be done. Why don't you even, even take the story of Jesus. The most popular part of Jesus' story for Christians to talk about is the crucifixion. It takes up the most real estate in the Gospels. More than any other one-day period, the crucifixion takes the cake. And the crucifixion, I believe, and the theological tradition that I come from teaches me, the crucifixion was God entering the world and ending the cycle of violence by not perpetuating the cycle of violence. That when Jesus is, is taken and when he's bound and when he's whipped and when he's crucified, he says nothing against it. And, and it's not like he was just weak and he couldn't do anything. He says it to Pilate, right? Hey, I, you, if you even, if I wanted to, I could just, you know, 12,000 legions of angels or whatever it is. I don't remember how many. It's a lot of angels. It's like more angels than there are people on earth. Like, they would be here in one minute. And they would take you. You couldn't touch me. But it's not anybody who takes my life. I lay it down freely. The whole story of Jesus, I think, is really distorted a lot by a lot of theologians because they miss the whole point. 
which is that God ends the cycle of violence by not perpetuating. This is why it bothers me when people say things like, oh, like what happened to Jesus on the cross? Well, that was just God's wrath, like an anger, and he was just, and he just was so angry at sin that he just needed to kill somebody, so he killed Jesus. Was it God who killed Jesus, or was it us? I forget who falsely accused Jesus. Humanity? Who, 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 remind me, who, who was the ones who stripped him naked and marched him down the street and beat him to death? Well, almost to death. Who were the ones who hung him up on a cross? Was that divine intervention, or was that just humanity? When religious power and empire mix, they don't deal well with good shepherds. They don't deal well with people who say, hey, I, your system of violence doesn't work here. And so the cycle of violence that we see in Samson with the fire foxes, the cycle of violence that we see with Samson with the jawbone and eventually with Delilah and eventually with him ripping down the temple and, and, and all this that was highly ineffective and did nothing in the grand scheme. Like I said, he's either a villain or he's ineffective. It's one or the other. All of that totally defeated by Jesus. Totally defeated by Jesus who did none of it who never took the law into his own hands, who never acted out against his neighbor, who always loved, who always was, I mean, yeah, sometimes Jesus got, got a little riled. We're going to talk about that at the end of this series. You know, Jesus gets really angry at a tree one time. Like, I, I got to figure it out before I preach about it. He gets really angry at a tree. Jesus is not always happy, but Jesus never resorts to human tactics which were founded in Genesis with Cain and Abel. The, I want my way, so I'm going to use violence to get it. Jesus never goes there. Never. And he never calls us to. I'm not, I'm not trying to make any sort of military argument here. I'm, talking about, I'm just, just talking about human-to-human contact. Jesus says, I never, I never went there. Even when they took me away. That's why it's, the, it's God's love that's magnified. God, who would lay down God's own life for us, magnified in the story of Jesus. And so I'm going to use a, a just going to give you one quick metaphor. This is, this is a Game of Thrones metaphor, but it's something that my seminary professor told me, so I'm just going to blame him. His name is Max Lee. If you don't like Game of Thrones, you talk to Max Lee, not me. Okay, um, there's a character in Game of Thrones who's going to take the throne. And they said, the way that you take the throne is through violence. And then after you take the throne with violence, somebody else will try to take the throne with violence. And, and the wheel, they say, the wheel will keep on turning. You will either have to defend the throne with violence or you will take the throne with violence. Those are the only two options. It's violence or violence. That's how power works. That's why it's called the Game of Thrones. Whoever wins, that's the person who acts out the most violence. And this character looks at it and says, I don't want to be part of the wheel. I want to break the wheel. I think that that's what's happening here in the New Testament with Jesus. I think that that's, what's, that that's, that's the irony of this weird 
foxes getting lit on fire, guy killing people with animal bones, tearing down temple. I think that that's the weirdest part of this whole story. It's that finally that cycle, which doesn't begin with Samson, but Samson is a really great example of it. That wheel of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, violence for violence, wrath for wrath, is broken in the person of Jesus who lays down his life for the sheep. I believe that's why in Revelation it's the slain lamb, not the lion of Judah. I mean, it's both, but it's the slain lamb that keeps appearing. So I'll leave you with this. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Leave you with this. If you take away only one thing from this morning, take away this. Things beget their own young. Cats give birth to kittens. Cows give birth to calves. Dogs give birth to puppies. Humans give birth to babies. Human babies. Violence always gives birth to violence. Malice always gives birth to malice. Racism, injustice, socioeconomic depression, they always give birth to those things. Unfair employment practices give birth to unfair employment practices. That's how it works. What you do to get there is what you encourage and what you support and what you enable. But love gives birth to love. Forgiveness can give birth to forgiveness. And so be a person who plants those seeds, those seeds that are seeds of the kingdom of God, which can grow into a great tree to provide shade and truth and nourishment for the world. Be people who plant those seeds, not the other seeds. Amen. Yeah.